Hello, and welcome to Karen's Medical Corner. I'm Karen O'Day. I'm a certified family nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife, owner and operator of Evercare Family Practice in Santa Fe, New Mexico. My specialties include family health care, bioidentical hormone replacement for men and women, aesthetic treatments, as well as I do have a specialty in balance evaluation and treatment. Today we're going to be talking about vertigo. Uh, we're on episode number two, which is basically determining the cause of the vertigo. What testing that we do, what systems may be associated with the development of vertigo. Now, oftentimes people will be sent to my office for evaluation of vertigo and they're sent for an inner ear problem. And certainly an inner ear problem can cause vertigo, but a great number of times it's not the cause of vertigo. Oftentimes it's a multi-system problem. It could be something completely unrelated to the inner ear. So we do a full workup and evaluation. So when I'm doing this workup and evaluation, I'm looking at six body systems. Now I've asked Jim, my husband, who's a doctor of audiology, to be on the podcast today to discuss the audiology evaluation of vertigo as he is the specialist in this and I believe that he can give better information than I can regarding uh, the evaluation on his end of the spectrum for vertigo uh, disorder. So the first thing I like to look at when I'm looking at somebody is I look at the system that's called uh, their proprioception and basically that means how somebody is able to determine their their uh, position in space. So basically what that means is I'm sitting here in this chair right now and I feel like I'm sitting upright and I am. I feel like the back of my legs are sitting on a chair and that my feet are flat on the floor and I can feel all that. So I know that my proprioception at this point appears to be working fine. I don't have numbness and tingling. I don't have, my brain is not confused on which direction is up. So that's basically the proprioception part of the evaluation. So we do a uh, full workup in that regard to determine if that part of the system is having any difficulties, what surgeries have the patient had, what underlying health conditions does the patient have. The next system I look at is vision uh, because vision is highly associated with vertigo. That's why when people are having problems with vertigo, we have them not sleep in the dark. They should have a nightlight on so that they're not waking up in the dark and they don't have that part of their balance system to help them control their uh, their vertigo and their sense of, of well-being. So if somebody has had an eye surgery or they're developing macular degeneration or they have glaucoma or an injury or or anything that could be associated with the eyes or they haven't recently had an ophthalmologic workup, then I'll have them see their eye doctor and have a full evaluation done on the eyes. The next system that I will look at is the central nervous system. And the central nervous system is basically comprised of the brain and the spinal column. The next system that we evaluate is in relation to hormones uh, that can affect the um, balance or vertigo that would include obviously a thyroid uh, hormones that can substantially cause problems with vertigo if they are not um, optimized. 
I also will look at uh, a patient's medications. Uh, many and most medications have as a side effect vertigo. And so as is well known, many patients are polypharmacy. They are on multiple medications for multiple health conditions. They come in with vertigo and they're on a, a list of medications, sometimes over 20. And the majority of them have a, a side effect of vertigo. So we look through there and see which ones could possibly be associated with a problem. And then obviously the last system that we look at, which is not necessarily last, but it's the one I'm talking about last, is the vestibular system. And the vestibular system I look at to a degree by doing the physical exam, but then I have Jim do a more thorough evaluation of the vestibular system. So I'm going to have him uh, give a brief uh, description of the vestibular system, and then we'll talk about the workup. A description. Um, well, hi, by the way, I'm Jim, um, the disembodied audiologist. Uh, I've done quite a few uh, workups. Uh, my primary tool, of course, is the basic audiological evaluation. Why? Because there are certain pathologies, such as Meniere's disease, that show a particular configuration of hearing loss, which is not consistent with what you would typically see on most patients. And so that's like a, a flag right there that indeed there's something going on in that vestibular or the balance system of the inner ear um, uh, that is affecting uh, their balance, their, their vertiginous episodes. Um, Meniere's is a very uh, nasty uh, diagnosis when it occurs because it's usually three prongs of, uh, of uh, symptoms that you see. One, of course, is hearing loss in the lower frequencies, which is a little atypical. The other is fluctuation of the hearing. Some people have roaring tinnitus and vertigo. When they have it, is exceedingly nauseating for these people. They're really, it's debilitating. So uh, part of the reason for the vertigo when I'm dealing with audiology is the vestibular system, which is composed of uh, three semicircular canals um, on one set on both sides uh, that will give you the position of uh, movement and your uh, spatial orientation. There is in that system a fluid that's called uh, uh, endolymph and the uh, hair cells uh, in each one of the semicircular canals have on top of them uh, crystals uh, basically composed of that endolymph. Uh, they're called otoconia. And in many situations, uh, when some of those crystals are dislodged, that could be from trauma, it can be from uh, abnormal pressure such as with Meniere's, uh, and they float to another semicircular canal, they will cause uh, an attack of vertigo, which can be quite severe. Um, if it is strictly the benign proximal positional vertigo, which is the otoconia floating from uh, into the wrong semicircular canal, um, it's usually uh, something that is exceedingly severe when it uh, occurs, but it naturally, even without 
um, uh, a repositioning, what they call an Epley test. Uh, even without doing that, uh, it will eventually go away because the otoconia reabsorb into the fluid. So since you were talking about Epley, that is oftentimes part of the workup for uh, evaluation of the cause of uh, the vertigo. So if we could talk a little bit about what you do as far as audiogram and we'll talk about VEMP, V-HIT, VNG, which I think is pretty archaic, and Stone Age at this point and tortures patients, which I would never recommend doing. I've had it done twice and it elicits extreme vertigo, especially if you're in an active state of Meniere's and uh, the other tests do not do that. And then I would also like to talk about um, the GANS SOP and uh, developed by Richard GANS, who is a PhD audiologist uh, who owns and operates the American Institute of Balance in Florida where both Jim and I have had training. So I'd like to start with initially, uh, tell us about you know what you do with the full audiogram. What is that? Well, as I mentioned a few minutes ago with Meniere's and with other pathologies that are around, you do the audiogram uh, to see if there's asymmetry in the hearing loss between ears. That's a flag, a red flag, that indeed there may be uh, some underlying problem. Uh, typically with the asymmetry, it's more though uh, with the eighth or the hearing nerve, and which is also uh, associated with the vestibular nerve too. It's uh, still one, one and the same, although some of the, uh, you know, it, it's a different component of that same nerve. Um, the other thing we look for is whether it's a low-frequency hearing loss versus a high-frequency loss. Uh, high-frequency loss is typical of normal progression of, of age, whereas low-frequency loss is more because of a, a sign of uh, Meniere's. We do a series of those, in fact, uh, with Meniere's um, because part of with the diagnosis of Meniere's is fluctuation or change in the hearing loss. We also have, uh, that, that's part of the typical uh, hearing test. We also do tympanometry and acoustic reflexes. Now, tympanometry is important because occasionally we'll get people that have um, leakage of the uh, endolymphatic fluid that uh, when you put pressure in the middle ear, which is what tympanometry is doing, it's pushing pressure in and out of the canal, uh, it will induce vertigo. Okay, and that gives us an idea of where the site of the problem is for people. Uh, as far as the acoustic reflexes, that's another test uh, to really evaluate the performance of uh, both the uh, eighth and seventh nerve, as well as uh, uh, a general or a gross evaluation of uh, CNS or central nervous system. Uh, the configuration of are the reflexes completely there or is there some combination of absent reflexes without sufficient loss that would warrant them being absent. 
so it, it's an extensive evaluation. And in conjunction with the acoustic reflexes, one reason I like those looked at, uh, when I'm doing an evaluation for a patient, I always order acoustic reflexes because if they are absent and the hearing is fairly normal, that can be an indicator of a tumor that we're always looking for in association with vertigo. One test that both Jim and I do uh, for evaluation, just depending on if I have done it before I refer them to him or if he does it after I do a referral, is Dix-Hallpike testing. So Dix-Hallpike testing requires special lenses called Frenzel lenses, and in doing that test, the patient wears the lenses. It keeps their eyes from focusing so that when they are laid back and placed in different positions, you look for an astagmus or twitching of the eye. And depending on, one, the way the eye is moving, whether it's horizontal or vertical, if it stops moving in a specific amount of time or it doesn't stop moving is an indicator of different systems affected. So if I am doing Dix Hall Pike and I lay someone down and after several seconds or 30 seconds or even a minute, the test shows that the nystagmus goes away, I can be fairly certain that it's probably a vestibular problem. If it does not resolve, it's more than likely a central nervous system problem and that takes us in different directions as far as testing and evaluation. Um, one of the tests again that both Jim and I do, I'm going to let him talk about it more, was developed by Richard Gans um, who is basically the um, balance and vertigo guru. He is phenomenal in his field. He does research, extensive research on balance and vertigo problems. He has a very uh, large practice in Florida and he is amazing. Um, I've done a couple of courses with him and he is very, very good. And he developed the GANS SOP. And I'm gonna let Jim tell you about the GANS SOP. He does that a lot of times. I sometimes will do part of the testing. A lot of times I don't do the full testing because it involves a patient standing on a pillow and if they fall, I would have a very hard time in catching them. So I'll let him discuss that. Well, it's not easy for me to catch them either, but uh, it, basically with the sensory organizational performance test, which is the GANS test, it's a series of different positions uh, that we put the patient in. Uh, initially, very simple. You stand erect with your eyes open. You'll do that for 30 seconds. Then you close the eyes. In other words, you're taking away the input from the vision okay, to see if indeed they start to sway or in some cases fall. Uh, then you uh, have them take a step uh, by the way, this is without shoes on that will help them uh, in their position in, in space. You, take the, uh, you have them take a step with just one leg and you see if they can hold it appropriately. Okay, first with the eyes open, then with the eyes closed. What you're doing is taking or changing their center of gravity and, and putting a little bit more stress on the systems that you're evaluating for balance. Uh, you do that for both legs. Um, then uh, you put them on a pillow, okay? Now, of course, this is a specialty pillow that uh, 
GANS and his organization developed, it can actually uh, effectively measure a person's balance up to uh, 300 pounds. Okay, so we have a margin. And all of this testing, the SOP, is really only been tested for individuals that are younger than age 80. Okay, but first you put them on the pillow and you have their eyes open. Then you tell them to close their eyes. Now, what did you just do? You took away vision, you took away proprioception, and what is left is the vestibular evaluation. Okay. Then, after you do that, you do the Fakuda uh, stepping in place test. And basically what you're looking for is to see um, within the first, I think it's uh, 50 steps, whether or not they can hold their position in place, whether or not they turn to the right, to the left. And, and so that's forth. done off of the pillow. That is done off of the pillow. Yes, sorry about that. That would cause major no, injury. We're, we're not putting them on the pillow <laughs> to do that. No, 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 no. I'm sorry about that. Um, but all of what you're doing is systematically uh, evaluating uh, the different components, uh, vision, proprioception, and vestibular. Those are major components to see um, where they we uh, weaken. Now, the earlier on in the testing, meaning if the very first position they're starting to sway and so forth, uh, if they start having problems in the very easiest of positions, it's usually more indicative of a central problem. Whereas uh, if they only start to fall down, uh, not really fall down, but uh, don't perform well on the, the pillow and so forth, uh, and prior to that they did well, then that's more of a vestibular problem. So what we're really trying to do is is figure out which system we should focus on in, in diagnosing that problem. So after that testing is done and determining, you know, if further testing is needed, I wanted you to talk a little bit about uh, a VNG, which is often mispronounced horribly on what it is. Uh, and as far as I'm concerned, should never be done ever again because we have VHIT and VEMP, which are much better. But let's start with VNG, the advantages and disadvantages, and then the more modernized, kinder testing that can do the same thing. So let's start with VNG, which I have been told or consulted with as video stagmanometry which is not right and so Jim's going to talk about that in detail right now. Oh my god, can I remember how to pronounce it? <laughs> video nystagmography is what VNG stands for, which is why we always call it VNG. Um, basically it's uh, a good bit of it is actually not as horrendous as, as my wife says. Oh, it's horrendous. Oh, okay. It's, it, it, it's, it, it's horrendous. I needed Valium after I had mine done because I was irretractably vomiting. That's, that's when you get to the cold and hot either air, which is a little bit more civilized, or water that they put individually into, in, uh, into individuals ears okay the intent of all of that test both the positional and the calorics which is what the water and or air is the intent of it is to see if there's an asymmetry in the nystagmus that's induced 
in your eyes. So the movement. Yeah. And, and if there's a significant weakness on one side, that will tell you or give you an idea of where indeed the problem is. Okay. Um, it's a little bit, yes, it's cruel. Okay. <laughs> it's archaic and cruel. And we don't do that in our office. We do have a lot of people referred for VNG, but we have much better testing that actually is able to localize to a better degree where the issue of the balance or vertigo problem is coming from. So we have VHIT and we have VEMP. So I'm going to have Jim talk about VHIT and what it's for, and then we'll talk about VEMP. All right, uh, VHIT, it's, uh, uh, it's the uh, visual head impulse test, okay? Basically, what you're doing is putting a set of goggles on somebody who's sitting, and you have a focal point uh, not far from them, usually within three feet. That they stare at the whole time. That they stare at the whole time. The intent is stare at that. And you have high-speed high cameras on their head, and you're standing behind their head, and you're looking at, to move their head back, right, left, up, down, uh, in quick motions to see whether or not uh, the vestibular ocular, meaning the vestibular system, the inner ear, and the ocular uh, system, which is obviously your eyes, whether or not those are synchronized in the different positions that you put them in. Okay. If there's a weakness on one side, obviously that tells you the where the uh, uh, the focal point of any sort of treatment would be. Okay. That is, to be honest with you, the primary uh, test that I do. I do have the uh, the VIMP equipment. <sighs> which is the vestibular evoked myogenic potential. That's a mouthful. Okay. Uh, the, the limitation of that is um, the person has to, uh, number one, put up with very loud sounds. The, there are insert microphones put in their ear that uh, you have to go at least 100 decibels, and you're, you're presenting quite a few uh, pulses. And you have to have their head at a instead of on a flat, and you're, you're typically doing this on a flat, you have to have their head up such that it's probably about 30% from the bed and tilted both to the right and left. What you're doing is seeing whether or not those, the, the pulsation of the sound is inducing a contraction of the large muscles of the neck. Okay. You know... Number one, if they're not muscular, <laughs> if they've got other problems, that, that, that's a tough one. Whereas um, the V-hit is much easier to, uh, to deal with, with with the older patients. It really is a much more civilized, and so I focus on that more than anything. Thank you, Jim. And so usually what I will do is when I'm doing an evaluation, I, I like to have the patient have an audiogram sometimes before they do the blood work. If they're referred by somebody else, they usually haven't had blood work. And so if they're in the office, just to save time, I'll go ahead and order the audiogram so they can get it while they're there. However, if somebody's coming to me specifically for vertigo, they have not seen anybody else, I will usually do the evaluation, order blood work because there's so many uh, 
potential causes of vertigo that are not associated with anything that Jim does. And he wants to know what the blood results are prior to him doing the audiogram because if they're having problems with vitamin D, they're having a B12 deficiency, if they have Lyme disease, all of these things can affect his VHIT or his VEMP testing as well as uh, parts of the audiogram. And so we need to verify that those are normal. If they're not normal, correct those issues and then do the full balance evaluation if they're still having vertigo. So I think it's really important for patients to know what I order as far as blood work. This is a basic blood work panel for vertigo. You can get much more extensive, but this is where I start. Because a lot of times in doing this blood work, the initial rundown will tell me if I need to look uh, more specifically at something, say at an autoimmune disease, or if we need to look at uh, other findings that we may have in the testing. So this is just a rundown and anybody who's being seen for vertigo should ask their primary care provider to have this testing done prior to seeing a specialist so that they can take the results with them or potentially not even have to see a specialist if, if there's a problem or go to the correct specialist because ear, nose, and throat is not always the right place to be sent with a vertigo problem. So the first thing I'll order is an ANA, which is an anti-nuclear antibody screen. This is a basic screen looking for uh, different types of autoimmune disorders such as rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, scleroderma, Sjogren syndrome and I do a reflex analyzer as well which is part of that testing which breaks down the specific antibodies if it's positive. I always look at a lipid panel because we know that high cholesterol can be associated with vertigo. I do a complete blood count for several reasons and we'll talk about that in episode number three. I do um, a complete metabolic panel which looks at the blood sugar, the electrolytes, the proteins, the liver, the kidneys, uh, the carbon dioxide level. I also look at an FTA, which is um, an antibody screen for syphilis. So a lot of times I'll get somebody who comes in and they have an RPR which is negative. That's great. The RPR is looking for syphilis right in that near moment. Uh, the RPR will go to negative over time, but if somebody's had exposure to syphilis in the past, and they've never been treated for it, tertiary syphilis is one of the big causes of central nervous system problems with vertigo and needs to be treated. I also do Lyme titers and again in association with um, autoimmune diseases I look at um, the antibody levels as far as IgM, IgG, IgE, and IgA because we know that there's a, a huge association between autoimmune disorder and vertigo. Um, I'll also look at an ESR, which is an erythrocyte sedimentary rate, which again is looking for um, generalized inflammation that can be associated with different causes of vertigo. I always check a B12 uh, folate level, which is a B9 vitamin, vitamin D, prolactin level. The prolactin level is, uh, if it's elevated, is a good indicator of something going on in the anterior pituitary gland. I'll also order um, a rheumatoid factor and then obviously a complete thyroid panel, which includes a complete thyroid panel is not just a thyroid stimulating hormone and a T4. A complete thyroid panel is a thyroid stimulating hormone, total T4, free T4, total T3, free T3, 
free T3 and reverse T3, and I also do a TPO looking for antibodies for Hashimoto's thyroiditis, as well as doing blood work. So I always give patients an option when they come in, how do you want to proceed with your workup? Because everybody's individual, everybody wants to do things differently. Some people say, I want everything done as soon as possible because they are literally desperate some people say they want to move in a stepwise approach, have the physical exam, have the blood work. If anything comes back abnormal, treat that. Some people uh, say, I want everything. So at that point, I would also order um, an MRI of the brain with and without contrast to include full evaluation of the cranial nerves. It's very important um, that that's specified because sometimes if you don't ask for full evaluation, of the cranial nerve and the uh, cerebellar pontine angle, that won't be included in the read and then it will have to be reread. So that's basically the evaluation that I do when I'm working up somebody with vertigo. Uh, and this is initial evaluation, aside from the full physical exam, to determine, you know, what are the possible causes? Is it one cause? Is it multiple system causes for the vertigo? And that's where we'll leave it with this podcast because this has been a long, long podcast. There's a lot associated with um, potential causes and, you know, the etiology of vertigo. And I think it's important that patients know this is what you need to have done because I have patients who come in, they don't have any idea on what the workup is for vertigo. They've had vertigo. They've had no workup done. They're in my office saying I need help and I have no um, basis of any type of preliminary testing that's been done. So I'm a lot of times starting from ground zero. So this is more of an educational uh, podcast for patients so that they can be aware this is the testing that can be done prior to going to the specialist. Because if somebody has an autoimmune disorder, they wouldn't go to ear, nose, and throat. They would go to a specialist that deals with autoimmune diseases. If somebody has Lyme disease, they're not going to go to ear, nose, and throat. I mean, they could. I treat uh, in family practice Lyme disease, not so much in New Mexico, but I used to treat it in New Hampshire quite frequently. But these are the reasons that we do the workup. I'm going to put a list of the workup on the website so that if you have questions or you can't, you know, remember everything that was said uh, on the podcast, you can, you can go to the website and pull that off of our website um, and take it to your primary care's office. Uh, if you have any questions or concerns regarding uh, this podcast, please don't hesitate to let us know. You can email me at evercarefamilypractice at gmail.com. You can contact me through the website at www.evercare.com. You can also contact me on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, uh, YouTube, any of the any places where uh, you might uh, find us located. So uh, I want to wish everybody a wonderful evening and happiness and health and the continuation to be able to have full choice on all of your health care needs. And have a good night. Thank you for joining us. We'll be doing episode three, which is going over uh, the test results, um, giving the different disease processes that can cause vertigo. And then the last episode will be on treatment. So I appreciate everyone for joining us. Uh, thank you to Kathy V and to Brad and Serena and Pauline 
and Scott and all of our listeners uh, for taking time out of their day to listen to our podcast. Thank you so much.